0: Thanks, Daniel. Good morning, church. And what a sweet time. Oh, good morning to you. What a sweet time of worship together this morning. Maybe it was just me. I don't know. It was just really sweet to get to seeing, hear your voices, and just to be led and reminded of the gospel, Um, this God who has done everything required uh, to reconcile relationship with us, even people like us. And so, um, welcome. Glad you're here. We're going to be in... Genesis 1, then we're going to land in Colossians 3, where Daniel was reading, so if you want to mark both places you can, or just uh, turn to Colossians 3, you're welcome to do that. Um, Just a quick word about where we're doing uh, in this series, this is a a series we're walking through our vision as a church. Um, This is not a time to try to convince you of anything, that we've got it all figured out, but simply a time as a church to reflect on our vision. Um, this thing that we say matters and guides how we do church. Our vision statement is to make disciples for Jesus through gathering together in worship, uh, growing together in biblical community, and then living the mission of Jesus in our everyday lives. And so we're kind of refreshing that in our minds and hearts and allowing God's Word um, to speak into that vision, right? And so what we've, we're learning is that really there's kind of two things that make um, each piece of this vision really important. One is God's good design. We're looking at how God designed the church, people, the universe, and then we're looking at what Jesus died for, right? Because both of those things would indicate what matters. If God designed something to work a certain way, then it matters. right? But then we also look at what Jesus died to restore and to save and we go, well, that must matter, too. Right, because God sent his only son to accomplish that, or restore that, or fix that. And so we're taking kind of both of those approaches with each step. So last week we looked at gathering and worship. This is, by God's design, what we were created to do. To gather together with other worshipers in a weekly rhythm that God embedded in the DNA of the universe. The universe works in rhythm, and he created us to work in those rhythms. Not ruts, but rhythms right, where we gather together to worship him. And not only did he create us for that, Jesus died to restore that. And so it matters. And so this week, as we look at our relationships with one another, which we describe often as biblical community, meaning community, relational community, that's grounded in a truth that is greater than ourselves, biblical community. A community that is not just described, but governed by the principles of God's word. So we're going to start in Genesis together, and with this in mind, I want to start in Genesis 1, verse 26, this is the sixth day of creation. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay, so we read this passage, we notice, you know, just almost immediately, God's referring to himself in plurality, us. Let us make man in our image, and The Gospel of John begins by introducing us to Jesus this way, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Talking about Jesus, He was with God in the beginning. So we don't have to ask, what is He talking about here? Who is with Him? Who's the us? We know this is a reference to the Godhead, Father, Son, Spirit. But then He also says something really unique about us as human beings that we will be created in His image, and He had in in mind creating more than just one. Let's create man in our image image and let them so the idea from the beginning was a them okay and so we begin to ask ourselves well, what does this mean about me what does this mean about us what does this tell us about our created purposes in in the world um nick was talking earlier about the sanctity of life and that because of how the scriptures describe human beings we believe that every human being both inside and outside the womb has dignity sanctity a sense of worth and value that's placed there by God Himself. Like, you don't have to perform or make it big or impress people before you have value. According to God's Word, you have value because you're an image bearer. I'm going to talk for a minute about what does that mean. It's really kind of a two-way street, if you, if you will. I think about just the concept of image bearer. It's like, okay, if I'm an image bearer, I'm bearing the image of somebody else. So you should see a reflection of them in me. And so something about looking at me or looking at you tells us something about who God is, right? So we hear about how God has has us in the palm of his hand and so you look at me or you look at somebody else and you see a hand you go okay I can get a concept of that because I'm looking at an image bearer so I get some kind of concept of what God means then because I've held something in my hand before I've held tightly to something in my in my hand and so you can see a reflection of of who God is but then it goes the other way too that something about who God wants you to see is like revealed in us and so You can actually learn a lot about who you are by looking at him, both and. So you can learn about God by looking at image bearers, the imperfect reflection of a holy God. But you can also learn something about image bearers by looking at God. Does that make sense? So we we look at God here in this passage and go, well, what was it about him that he wanted to reflect in in these image bearers? What is it about this plurality, this idea that God is Father, Son, and Spirit, one at the same time? here's what we need to understand and and Daniel one of our the elder who was up here reading earlier this morning was with us in kind of a pre-service devotional he was talking about you know what was before creation and trying to help us think about how you know God has eternally existed and so not only has God eternally existed he has eternally existed in relationship with himself love for example wasn't a concept God came up with after he created us he didn't create you so that he could then exercise his love he was already loving so we talk about dignity and sanctity of life and God didn't create you and me so that he he could show how how to give dignity he was already giving dignity to himself The Father has always loved the Son. The Son has always dignified the Spirit. The Spirit has always honored the Father. So that's eternally true. God has always existed in an eternal, loving, honoring relationship within himself. Is anybody's mind hurting yet? Okay. Now he's creating us to bear that image in the world. Go, look like me in the world. Go show the rest of, the, of creation who I am. And so then we fast forward to the next chapter. Genesis 2.8, then the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. Now, is God saying, oops, I made a mistake? He's just saying, I'm not done creating. Because, see, I created this one to need a counterpart, I needed this one to have have another image bearer to walk with and live with in order to express that love and that honor and that dignity and all those things that make the Godhead the Godhead, right? Adam needed another image bearer. It wasn't good for him to be alone because God's creation wasn't complete. And then in verse 24, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So, like, in this passage, we see that mankind was created for intimacy. Okay, and that's, you could break it down a couple different ways. Um, Into me see. I'm going to let you see into me. Right? To be fully known. You were created to be fully known. And... To desire to be fully accepted. If you know all of me, you'll accept me. You won't reject me. Intimacy. And so, there, there was no hiding. They were both naked. There was nothing hidden. Fully known, fully seen, fully accepted. And this is, this is what you were created for. An intimate relationship with God. Fully known, fully accepted. An intimate relationship with others fully known, fully accepted. We don't know how long Adam and Eve were in the garden. If you're just reading the chapters of Genesis, it doesn't seem like they were there very long before they messed everything up and things come off the rails. Who knows? We don't know. But in chapter 3, there's a conversation. This is entrance of the serpent and the temptation. And essentially the temptation is this, to to eve and then to adam is god just doesn't want you to be like him that's why he said don't eat from that tree and so there's this temptation to be more than just human right so like yeah, you don't have the knowledge that comes when you eat from this tree adam and eve and if you eat of it you'll have this this extra you'll be more than human you'll be more than what god created you to be god just doesn't want you to be that so he gave you this rule to kind of keep you in submission, to keep his foot on your, on your back and keep you pressed to the ground. And that was the temptation. If you eat from this, you're going to be like God. And God doesn't want that. And so they eat. The tragedy of the fall. They disobey God. Sin enters the world, and with sin comes unhealthy shame. Remember, they were both naked, and they felt no shame. You know what shame is? the the hebrew word which you could pronounce bosh or bush it's a hebrew word um, it means this it means to disappoint or to let down or to be embarrassed so before the fall before adam and eve's decision to disobey god they weren't embarrassed they didn't live with the sense of i've disappointed you or i've disappointed god and now all of a sudden after their disobedience, after sin enters the story, they're feeling shame. Look at what it looks like. Verse 7 says, the eyes of both were opened. And they knew now that they were what? Naked. Something's changed. And they sewed together fig leaves. Or they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. or parts of themselves they wanted to hide now. And they heard of the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man. That is such a powerful gospel statement right there. He did not owe them that. That is God's grace and his mercy and his kindness. That is a a foreshadowing of the gospel. That even when we sin and we feel embarrassed and we've let God down, we've fallen short, that God still shows up and calls to us. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God still calls us? To us, And so God called to the man. And he said to him, where are you? Where are you at? We've talked about this before. It wasn't so God could gain new information. I think it was him trying to show Adam where he was, helping Adam locate himself. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. This is Adam speaking, and I was scared. I was afraid. Because why? Because I was naked, because I felt shame, so I hid myself. I knew I had let you down. I knew you wouldn't accept me anymore if you knew this about me, so I'm going to hide from you. You see immediately, intimacy is like fractured. Now they feel shame. I'm going to refer to shame in this context as unhealthy shame. I won't unpack it all this morning but the idea of a shame that's connected to sin, a shame that's connected to guilt, a shame that's connected to, I have violated what God has called me to do, and so now I feel this shame. And instead of being like God, to be, they were tempted to be more than human, now all of a sudden they didn't feel like they were enough, less than. Think about that. The day before, they were fine being human beings, walking in the garden. And now all of a sudden, it's not okay. I'm not enough. If you see all of me, you'll run from me, or you'll reject me, or you'll use it against me. If you see all of me, you will not accept me. So the only way I can be close to you is to hide parts of myself that I'm embarrassed of. Does that sound familiar? I want to be close, but if I show you all my cards, you're going to use them against me. So it's, instead of vulnerability, it's calculated Transparency. And it feels like this. Oh, oh, that's close enough. Yeah, come get close, come get close. Ah, 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 That's close enough. I don't want you to see all of me because if you see all of me, you won't love me. And now what was created by God is good, has been tainted by sin and shame. But hear me, church, this does not change your design. This does not change the intent for which you were designed. God didn't go, well, Never mind. I guess we'll use you for something else in the kingdom. You were still created for intimacy. And a relationship with God where you are known and accepted. You still need that. And a relationship with one another where you don't have to hide. You can be known and be accepted. Well, This is going to fast forward us to the church and what we mean by biblical community in in the sense that we believe that God has called us as a church to grow together in the context of community relationships we talked about this last week there are implicit places all over the new testament that talk about the importance and the significance of relationships i mean even if you just start at the very beginning of the church in acts 2 you see that they were intimately living lives together selling their possessions giving them to anyone who had need instead of like guarding themselves from one another they're leaning in towards one another see first corinthians 12 describes not just spiritual gifts but the reason why we have spiritual gifts is so that we can function relationally like a human body like interdependent on one another and here's the truth of it i don't just need your gifts i need you i don't just want you for what you can offer i want you for you because you're an image bearer There's a whole chapter in corinthians that talks about this some other examples, James 5. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. What's that for? I, can't this just be me and Jesus? Can't I just confess in my prayer closet with me and Jesus? And Why, I gotta, why do I got to loop you in on all this? 1 John chapter 1. John says this, that when we walk in the light as he is in the light we'll have fellowship with God and one another. And then we're like, well, what does that mean to walk in the light? And He tells us, well, if you'll confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That's the gospel. And once you've done that, now walk in fellowship with one another, this connection between forgiveness of sins and my relationship with you. We've got to be cautious not to separate those two things. Go to Ecclesiastes. Did you know that two is better than one? Like, that's a biblical concept. Why? Somebody gets cold, finds themselves in need, you got somebody there with you. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. It's like how God created the universe to work and put us in it. It's not good for you to be alone. over 40 commands in the New Testament about biblical community and how we are to love one another in specific ways. So implicitly, it's all over the Bible that these relationships matter, okay? But then explicitly, there are places you can go to where we begin to connect not just God's design to relationships, but we begin to see this is what Jesus died for, right? We talked about on both accounts, right? That gives weight to the conversation. We go to Colossians, this is where we're going to spend our time, the rest of our time today is in Colossians. We'll start in chapter 3, verse 1. Paul reminds us of the gospel. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, he's speaking about being spiritually raised with Christ. When you put your faith in Christ and him alone for your salvation, for the forgiveness of sins, then he acts, he moves, he shows up, and he forgives you, and he cleanses you. So if you So, you've been raised to walk in this new life the same way Jesus is resurrected from the dead. We are by faith resurrected to this new life. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, spiritually speaking, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When God, who is your life, appears, then you shall also appear with him in glory. So because you are a recipient of the kindness of God through the gospel, set your mind on things that are where? Above, not on things on earth. One of the mistakes that we make with this is we go, okay, I just need to think about, I just need to imagine the heavens and think about that. I don't need to to think about anything on earth. But then we begin to realize that the things on earth are also a reflection of things above. Look at what he says next in Colossians 3 as he describes these things of earth that we're not to have our focus on. Verse 5, he says this way, put to death, therefore. Okay, so if if we're gonna have our minds on things above and not things on the earth, Paul says, here's what needs to happen. We need to put some things to death. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, Passion, which is the same Greek word for lust. So it's not the idea of like God honoring passion. This is the idea of evil passion, lust. Evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And in these two, you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath. Malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. So tell the truth to one another. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So, the concept of fixing my mind on things above and not looking at things on the earth is not a physical description of quit, quit looking at things because, right, you're, you're, a, you're a created thing on earth. And so what's being described here are the things that, that bring curse in some way did you notice that these things that we put off we were to put to death are the things that harm one another and break down relationship with one another like the curse of sin is death and what's working against us is this right this this evil force to destroy our relationships with one another put off the things that bring curse to your relationships put off the things or put to death the things that are destroying your earthly relationships read it again (laughs) anger wrath malice slander obscene talk these are all things that impact my relationship with you and you with me lying so i'm to see to it that i've put off those things so whatever jesus died for he died to raise us to this new life of faith and to put off these old things that bring destruction and and curse to my relationships with other human beings There's an interesting thing that's stated here in verse 10. This is the reason why we started in Genesis today. And have put on the new self. So I put to death this old stuff, I take it off, but I'm supposed to put on some, some new stuff. What is this new self? Which is being renewed in knowledge after what? The image of its creator. Okay, that's good news after reading Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Like, think about that. Like, the gospel is renewing in me what I was created to be and do. God is restoring me, right, to to who Adam and Eve were before the fall. As I put off this, this old self and I put on this new self, I am putting on the purposes of God Described in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Let's talk about that. So, as we're walking through the implications of the gospel here, we see that the gospel Jesus died, was buried, rose from the dead, but by faith in him we can have salvation, forgiveness of sins. It's this gospel is the means by which God restores his good creation. So somehow, Jesus dying, being buried, raising to life. Easter, resurrection. That is the means by which God is restoring all things. Whatever was lost in the fall is recovered in the gospel. Whatever is broken in the fall is repaired in the gospel. Whatever is torn down and destroyed by the fall is restored through the gospel. And whatever has been wounded through the fall will be healed through the gospel. We can't extract this idea of forgiveness of sins and confession with my relationship with you. And James is like, hey, confess your sins to one another. Tell the truth on yourself with one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. So we can consider all the things that were broken at the fall. I mean, it's, it's embedded in the DNA of your cells. Cancer is a product of the fall. Old age, Lord have mercy, is a product of the fall. Like all of that is, is being restored through the gospel. We have to ask, what's the main thing God is restoring? We go back to our created purpose and we go, God is restoring a relationship with him where I can be fully known and fully accepted. I don't have to hide from God to get him to like me. I can come out of hiding. I can confess my sins. I can confess my weakness. I can confess my humanity and say, God, I am broken and fallible. I don't deserve a relationship with you. And in that, God meets us with his kindness. And we begin to see the implications of the cross that are to restore this relationship with me and God. The forgiveness of your sins is a means to the end, not the end itself. If we preach the gospel and we, and we only talk about forgiveness of sins, that's a huge part of it, we need that, then we've, we've missed. The forgiveness of the sins is the cleansing of my heart so I can be in relationship with God again. So that when he comes to do relationship with me, I'm not hiding from him. But I'm walking as this new creation in his presence. So then we we turn back then to the rest of Colossians 3 and we look at what we're supposed to put on. I want you to pay attention to how many of these things are relational. Like what's being restored through the gospel is relational. Look at what he says in verse 12. Put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. If you're in Christ, if you're saying, I've received the gospel, then what you're saying is my relationship with God has been restored, and my relationship with you has been restored. I don't have to hide parts of me from you. I don't have to hide from God anymore and everything that is listed here impacts my relationship with you in a blessed way. Right? The slander and the obscene, those, that was a curse. Now when I treat you this way, it blesses you and you bless me. Compassion, kindness, meekness, humility, patience, and bearing with one another. And above all these, put on love. Love which binds everything together in perfect harmony i would exchange one word and this way it binds everyone together god's not just binding things together he's binding image bearers together in perfect harmony and let the peace of christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell in you, richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, do it in in, in word and deed. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Here's the list again. All these are relational words. This is what God's calling you to put on as a recipient of the gospel, compassionate hearts. You can't even do that without another human being, can you? <laughs> I mean, I guess you could, you could express compassion towards a puppy. I don't think that's what he's getting at here. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience. These are all the descriptions of being an image bearer. This is who Adam and Eve were before the fall. Whatever was lost is being restored through Christ. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another, I love the must at the end of that. You must do this. If not, you're going to miss the whole point. But the point of the gospel isn't to clear your conscience so you can navigate the world as kind of your own God and your own Lord with a clear conscience. The point is what? Adam and Eve didn't have a clear conscience and it kept them from one another. The point is restored relationship. We were called to one body To teach and admonish one another And to sing Think about that When we were singing earlier together If you were singing like from your heart And you meant the words Like that was a glimpse of the garden Before the fall That's what it was like to be Adam and Eve before the fall Think about that You go read the description of Revelation You know we're going to sing again right We're going to sing again. That's what God's people do. We join our voices together and worship him. So the question is, do these relationships actually matter? Does biblical community matter? Is it just an afterthought of the New Testament? Oh, by the way, do this too, and it'll kind of help things go well? Or does this actually matter? The same question we asked this last week. I don't know. Does the death of Jesus matter? He died to restore your relationship with God. Painful, agonizing, suffering. God's way of saying my relationship with you matters. And if you are now in Christ, raised to walk in this new life, you put on your image-bearing qualities and you reflect those towards one another. Jesus died for my relationship with you. Jesus died for your relationship with me. And so, yeah, it absolutely matters. Growing together in biblical community is not just a catchphrase we pulled out of thin air that looked good on a dry race board. No, this seems to matter to God that we do relationship with one another. And what we see here in the garden from the very beginning is we have this shame that's connected to sin and death, this unhealthy shame that seeks to destroy and interrupt intimacy. So I'm gonna give you just a list of thoughts I had. The voice of unhealthy shame versus the voice of the gospel. The voice of unhealthy shame tells us to hide and isolate. It's not hard to see in Genesis 3, is it? And it's not hard to see in our own lives. That's the voice of shame. The voice of the gospel calls us to be known and to move towards intimacy. The voice of unhealthy shame says, if they find out who I really am, they'll reject me. But the gospel tells me that I am already fully known and fully accepted. The voice of shame tries to convince us that the only way to be safe is to hide, to be guarded, to be shielded, to keep people at arm's length. The voice of the gospel gives us a safe place to come out of hiding. I was meeting with a a spiritual mentor once who said this about the human soul. This is an older gentleman. He said, it seems to me after years and years of doing this, the human soul is really shy, guarded. Almost as though it's been wounded before, and it's like a like a like a turtle in a shell. You've got to like create a safe place to like just gently call the soul out. It's the gospel. It's the gospel, the voice of the gospel that invites us to come out of hiding. Gives us a safe place to be known. The voice of unhealthy shame tells us that being known is dangerous. They'll use it against you. You ever felt that? If I let you, if I let my insides be seen on the outside, you're going to use that against me. It's the voice of shame. But the gospel gives us courage to be vulnerable and to confess our weaknesses. Paul's like, man, once I discovered that, I boast in my weakness now. Like, I used to hide my weakness and had this thorn in the flesh, and it was, I couldn't get God to take it out, and I was trying to work it out between me and God, and God shows up for Paul, and Jesus is like, my grace is enough, Paul, it's all you need. And he's like, now I, like, now I boast in weakness. I don't try to hide my weakness. I boast in my weakness now. The voice of unhealthy shame tells us that God is angry and will not accept us unless we get our lives together the broken script of fallen humanity i hear it often in the church yeah i need to be back in church but man i got some stuff i got to get right first it's this feeling if i show up god's gonna be so mad at me i can feel like the whole the whole sunday is going to be about god just yelling at me and telling me how disappointed he is in me but the gospel shows us that god is kind and patient and gentle The voice of unhealthy shame tells us to hide our weaknesses, but the gospel compels us to boast in weakness and walk in confession. You know what the the doorway is to intimacy? Confession. Telling the truth. And I mean confession of sin and everything else. We don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, if it was sin or just physical ailment, but it it was weakness is what he calls it. If you want to have an intimate relationship with God and with others, the doorway is, is confession. I say this, I, 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 hey, I need to tell the truth on myself right now. That's my opening phrase sometimes for confession. It's my way of kind of breaking the ice and letting you know something's coming. And if I don't do that, though, I'm going to feel like there's something I'm hiding from you and, it, and, and, and I'm not fully known with you. So it's hard to feel like we have intimacy when I know I'm hiding something from you. So sometimes I just need to just tell the truth on myself. Hmm. Let me ask you this question. Is living in a fallen world hard? Confession is telling the truth about that. Like if you can't confess weakness and sin, it's almost like we're operating under the lie of Genesis chapter three and trying to be more than human. So, you know, if I tell you this, then I'm going to be, have to be less than what I am and, and to just to be real with you is not enough. It's like we're still buying into this idea. I've got to be more than you. i got to be superhuman. I've got to be the one of us that has it together. I'm okay if you don't have it together, but I have to have it together. Well, guess what? I don't have it together. Neither do you. Confession is this doorway, this pathway to boast in weakness. Living in a fallen world is hard, confession is telling the truth about that i want to just end with some questions for you to think about and really the main point that that i want to draw out of this is a you were designed for intimate relationships with god and others and b jesus died to restore your intimate relationship with god and with others to become a christian is not to walk an aisle and say a secret sauce prayer and then to go out into the world and live as your own God unto yourself, free with a clear conscience. No, it's an invitation into a relationship. A restored relationship with a holy God. And a restored relationship with one another. So here's some things I want you to ask yourself as we wrap up. How many relationships do you have where you are fully known and fully accepted? Think about that. How many relationships do you have where you are fully known. Like, there's no hiding. No hiding at all. Fully known and fully accepted. I want you to think about this. How has the, the voice of unhealthy shame, whatever was going on in Adam and Eve, how has that kept you from experiencing intimate relationships in your life? Because if you aren't fully known, you're not fully walking in intimacy. So what is your voice of shame? I'll never be enough. If they know me, they won't like me. If I tell the truth, they'll reject me. What is that voice of shame in your head? And I wanna ask you this really important question. How does the gospel give you courage and or permission to confess your weakness to God and others. Jesus died on a cross and he didn't die for nothing. How does knowing that the Son of God died on a cross, was buried in a grave, and resurrected, that by faith in him your sins can be forgiven and relationships can be restored? How does knowing that truth give you courage and if you need it, permission to boast in your weakness, to confess your weakness to God and to others. The great lie of Satan in this room is that somehow I need you to have it together and you need me to have it together. Church, I don't need you to have it together. I'll take the real you any day. Do you believe what I just said? I'll take the real you any day. And lastly, what do you need to confess to be fully known by God and others today? I'm not going to, like, guilt you into doing it. I can't do it for you. But at least be honest with yourself, if with nobody else, start there. What is it you need to tell the truth about in order to have an intimate, restored relationship with God, or an intimate relationship with others, or maybe some of you both? Maybe you're high, there's a, there's a, a lack of being known in both. What is it? What is that thing that if that if the whole rest of the room knew it, you're scared that we'll turn on you and reject you. What is that thing? My question this morning is, can you trust the gospel? This invitation from God, come, and be fully known and fully accepted. I don't need you to get your act together first. We'll work on that afterwards. Do you hear that? There is a working on it piece of being a Christian. There's a sanctification piece, but that comes after restored relationship with God and others. One more time I'll ask, what is that thing that's keeping you from being fully known that if the rest of the room knew it, you believe in your heart that we'd turn on you? Would you find courage in the gospel this morning to tell the truth about it? You can grab a prayer partner, Maybe a complete stranger. Hey, I just need to tell the truth. I just, need a, I just need a space to confess and boast in my weakness. Maybe you want to grab an elder or a pastor. We'll be available as well. Grab the person you came with. Grab somebody from across the room. We've got prayer rooms out here, and it's first come, first served. Be the first one in. Take that space up. Like, what a tragedy it would be to say we love Jesus and know Jesus and walk out of here without restored relationship with one another. That's, that's called lip service, nominal Christianity. So God is inviting you out of hiding today. I'm gonna pray for you and ask the worship team to come lead us in singing. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for doing all that is required. And when I say that, God, I mean perfect life. Jesus, you lived a perfect life. Like you did that on our behalf. You were tempted the same way we are tempted, yet you were without sin. You didn't fall short. You had no shame connected to sin. And we're so thankful that you lived a perfect life that then qualified you to be the perfect sacrificial death and sacrifice. Like your death on a cross was a big deal, you paid for the penalty of our sins. And you did all this, God, because our relationship with you and with others matters. That through the forgiveness of sins, we can put on this new self created in the true likeness of the image of God. Compassion and kindness and meekness and humility and forgiveness and love. Thank you, God, for calling us back to our created purpose through Jesus. Now, God, would you move in this room? I know all across this room, Father, there are so many things that we are hiding from you and from others. Father, we don't want this to just turn into chaos. What we want is just a a time, Father, to, to experience the freedom that comes from confession, the confession of sins, the confession of weakness. So, Holy Spirit, I pray you would move in this room right now. Where there is fear, you would give courage. Where there is doubt, you would give faith. Where there is hesitation, you would give a nudge. Oh, Spirit, that you would move in this room and move in our hearts and bring the kind of healing that James talks about. Father, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.